people are meeting up, the Lord's people in various time, various places, are gathering, gathering together to worship you. We thank you. We thank you. There are many, many different types of services at different stages of our Christian journey that are in different forms of spiritualities uh, appeals to us. And we thank you for different traditions. We thank you for all. Thank you for today. We count our blessing. Lord, we have been blessed beyond measure and we want to say thank you. As we come together to sing, to partake communion, to hear your word, be with us, shape us, mold us, that we can be more like Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to finish this morning with a final sermon from the book of Nehemiah. What I want to do, I really went through the text with you. I want to pick up 10 top lessons. You could probably pick up 100. But I pick up 10 lessons that I learned from the book of Nehemiah, and I want to give it to you. I won't revisit the text as we've been through it, just uh, some nuggets from here and there, 10 lessons from the book of Nehemiah. Let us learn together in a very abbreviated way. As uh, I noticed from the first service, I can extend a bit long here and there. So some, I just mention it very quickly, some I expand on it, uh, but... There are 10 top lessons that I've learned, not in the order of importance, but just 10 lessons that I've learned from the book of Nehemiah. The very first lesson I've learned is care about the things of God. Care about the things of God. Nehemiah cared about the things of God. While he was in exile, serving under Persian king, he's always conscious and aware of what is happening in Jerusalem. And so when his brother returned from Jerusalem, he asked, how is it? How are the people now? They have been back for a number of years. How are they coping? What are they doing now? And he heard bad news about no wars to protect them. And therefore, he cares about it. And that led him to weep, to cry, to pray for four months. What can he do for God in the position that he uh, held in the Persian Empire. And so the first lesson I learned is care about the things of God. You do not exist for yourself. If you are a Christian, you believe that life is a gift from God. Someone said that your life is a gift from God. What you do with this life is your gift to God. So care about the things of God. You don't just exist for yourself. We exist for a larger purpose, larger mission. Care about the things of God. What hurt God should hurt you. Care about the things of God. Number two, God leads different people different ways. God leads different people, different ways. Remember, before Nehemiah went back and rebuilt the wall, Ezra, the priest, has already went back. And another guy called Zerubbabel, before that also has gone back. Let, so when Nehemiah went back, it's the third return, not the first one, the third return. And therefore, when, when God led Ezra back to Jerusalem, Ezra went by himself uh, with some Jewish people. He did not want any help from the king because he sees it as a way that he's not trusting God. 
But Nehemiah went back in a different way. He went back with the blessing of the king and the support of the kings with all the resources that came along to help him rebuild the wall. God leads different people in different ways. We don't have to think that God has only one method in doing things. You know, I make the mistake at the beginning of my ministry by trying to imitate maybe certain preacher or certain type of people in ministry. You want to be like them and that kind of things. But I've come to realize you just need to be your unique self because God leads different people different ways. Number three, do your job well. You know, Nehemiah was a subject. He's a, he's a Jew. He, was, he ruled under the Persian Empire after Babylon Empire, Persian Empire came up. Did you know that Nehemiah was a cupbearer? He served the king. He tastes the food before the kings eat. Do you know how, what kind of trust that the king has on him? Why did he, as someone who is a subject, who is in exile, get that position? He must have done something really so great, which is not recorded, to be then promoted and into that position to be so trusted to be a cupbearer of the king. And so it is like us in our job. Whatever job that you do, you should do it well. Whether you are, you should serve your employer well. You should serve the government well. Whatever you do. Colossians chapter 3 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. So even though Nehemiah ruled under the Persian king, which in some sense you know, his subject, and, and he, he wanted to go back, but he, at the time, he do it with all his heart. He poured his heart out to serve the king, and therefore he gained favor by the king. And when he requested help from the king, the king granted everything that he wanted. And so we should do our best in our job, whatever job we do, we should serve our employer well. The employer should be proud of you as an employee because you are ultimately serving God and not man. Isn't what Paul says to in Ephesians chapter 5 when he gave the three sets of relationship about husband and wife, parents and children, and master and slave? If I may just uh, read this Ephesians chapter 5 towards the end of uh, chapter 5. Or chapter 6, rather, slaves and masters. The slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not man. Why? Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. So whatever you do, do it well. Do your job well like Nehemiah. Do it well. Serve the masters well. And then it turns out that God used the masters to bless him by using him, grant all his requests, provide all the resources he needs to rebuild the wall. 
So do your job well that I learned from the book of Nehemiah. Number four, remember who God is. Remember who God is. Right throughout the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah never failed to look up. He don't just look around his problems and the trials that he's going through. He always look up. He always remember who God is. Who is this God that he serves? Carl Jung, a Swiss psychiatrist, he says this. He said, the greatest and most important problems of life are all, in a certain sense, unsolvable. They can never be solved but only outgrown. The problem that you faced 10 years ago, the problem is still there. Some problems are unsolvable, but it has outgrown. You have outgrown it. That the, the problem that you used to face no longer hold on to you. Why? Because other priorities come in. As Christians, we say we look up to God. The more we focus on God, all those things, you outgrown all your struggles. Let me just continue what Kao Yang said. Let me repeat again. The greatest and most important problems of life are all, in a certain sense, insoluble. They can never be solved, but only outgrown. And this is what he said. This outgrowing, as I formerly called it, on further experience, was seen to consist in a new level of consciousness. Some higher or wider interest arose on the person's horizon. And through this widening of view, the insoluble problem lost its urgency. It was not solved logically in its own terms, but faded out when confronted with a new and stronger life tendency. And so all these things, this problem always remain the same, but you outgrown it because you focus on something larger. And those things no longer hold on to you a greater urgency. And for us Christians, we look at God, we remember God. And when we remember God, we focus on God. All this unsolvable problem, you will outgrow it. It's still there, but you will outgrow it. It has no more that kind of power to capture you anymore. It's just like Mary's, you know, come Christmas time, come next week, we are going to begin a new series on, on Christmas series on different characters during the Christmas season. And one of the songs that Mary sung was Mary's song in Luke chapter 1 called the Magnificat. Uh, Magnificat in chapter 1. It is Mary's outpouring of love and obedience to her God. And it starts with those remarkably uplifting words. He says, she says this, My soul magnifies the Lord. That's why it's called Magnif Magnificat. Magnify the Lord. Some translation say, My souls proclaim the greatness of the Lord, or my souls glorifies the Lord. You magnify God, you remember who this God you worship. You know, in our world today, the microchip is taken for granted. You find them everywhere, not only in computers, but also in cars and in toys and electronic equipment and even on Christmas cards. When you, you open up the card, and ding, 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 all kinds of music. There are microchips there. Now, when a microchip is magnified, 
that is enlarged with the aid of a microscope, you can see the hundreds and thousands of little lines and patterns, actually circuits inscribed on the surface of the chip. And these carry thousands of bits of information that make possible all the technological miracles we see all around us. And when you magnify a microchip, the intricate circuitry that makes it work becomes visible for all to see. And so here, Nehemiah always magnified the Lord. He remembers the Lord. And when he remembered the Lord, he always counted, the Lord has provided me thus far. He has provided me resources and all this. When, when he encountered internal problems, external problems, and Sambala and Tobiah, and internal division and all that, it's not going to deter him because he remembers who God is. And when he remembers who God is, all this problem, you outgrow it. It won't solve it. You may solve it temporarily, it will come back again. And when I promise in life, you serve temporarily, you think all solved, it will return back again with a vengeance. Bigger problem. But you outgrow it because you have a larger thing that you are concentrating on. So when you magnify the Lord, remember who God is. When you focus on your problem, it tells you that your God is small. When you focus on God, your problem is small. Number five, cultivate a lifestyle of praise and prayer. Right throughout the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah always pray. I do not know of any things that sustain my spiritual life more than anything else but prayer. How else can you sustain your inner spiritual life? without falling into just become a legalistic follower rules and keep the rules. How else can you sustain that? As I said before, as we age as a Christian, you, you fall into the tendency to either become legalistic or liberal. You either become Pharisee or you become Sadducees. There's always human tendency as a Christian. I've seen all both, both, both kinds of people as we age. It's not... It's very difficult to find a balance. It's not easy. So we have always this tendency to either slide into become legalistic or you become very liberal. Other than through prayer, is sustain that balancing understanding of things. Prayer. John Wesley said, prayer is where the action is. Prayer is not passive activity. It's not that you achieve nothing if you spend one hour in prayer together at the church service before church starts and all that. It's not a passive activity which so many people think that it is a passive activity. I would rather roll up my sleeve and then do something about it. I don't seem to achieve anything by prayer. You'll be amazed what you can achieve through prayer. First and foremost, you change your entire life's perspective the more you connect with God. And when you change, you begin to be able to influence those who are around you. When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. Prayer. Uh, someone said, the church that is man-managed instead of God-governed is doomed to failure. A ministry that is college-trained but not spirit-filled works no miracle. Prayer. Julian of Norwich says, pray. Even if you feel nothing, even if you see nothing, for when you are dry, when you are empty, when you are sick or weak, 
at such a time is your prayer most pleasing to God, even though you may find little joy in it. This is true of all believing prayer. Pray even if you don't feel like it, even if you see nothing or feel nothing. How sad that nowadays we do things based on how we feel. I feel like doing this and therefore we do it. We don't tend to do things because they're the right things to do. I don't feel like doing it, but it's the right thing to do. I must do it. They say feeling can be an indicator, but feeling should never be a navigator. If you're led by your feeling only when you do something and you feel like it, believe me, you, you, finish, you won't finish well. If you're based on your feeling whether to love or not, you're in trouble. Because your emotion always follow motion, not, not the other way down. If you let emotion dictate your motion, you're in trouble. Motion should dictate your emotion. Motion should. So, so many of our things in life, we are led by how we feel. I don't feel like doing this, therefore I don't do. I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like praying. But Julian of Norway said, pray even if you feel nothing, see nothing. Because the more you persevere, as I said, emotion will follow motion. Emotion will follow motion. Prayer, sustaining power of God in your life. Pray. That's why we launch prayer for the church building. One chapter, two weeks. Meditate on it so that you have two weeks, 14 days, enough time to just dwell on it and pray with us through this journey of the building project, not just only in a physical exercise, but spiritually, everyone is involved in the process of seeing how God provides for us and how the church covered in prayer. Because during this time, uh, Satan will work even harder. I love this poem called The Wings of Prayer. You say, just close your eyes and open your heart. Feel your worry and cares depart. Just yield yourself to the Father above. Let Him hold you secure in His love. For life on earth grows more involved with endless problems that can't be solved. But God only asks us to do our best. Then He will take care of and finish the rest. So when you are tired, discouraged and feeling blue, there is always a door open for you. That is the door to the house of prayer. You find God waiting to meet you there. The house of prayer is not further away than the quiet place where you knew to pray. For the heart is a temple where God is there when we place ourselves in His loving care. He hears every prayer. He answers each one. When we pray in His name, Thy will be done. The burdens that seem too heavy to bear are lifted away on the wings of prayer. So may you cultivate a lifestyle of praise and prayer. Praise God. When you learn to praise God, you kill your discontentment in life. When you bow to death, do you ever consider why we say grace before we eat? It's basically to cultivate an attitude of giving thanks to God in all things, even down to the bare necessity of food. Thanking God. And so five things I learned from the book of Nehemiah is cultivate a lifestyle of praise and prayer. Number six, learn to wait on Him. 
Waiting is perhaps the most difficult exercise, especially we live in an instant society, instant world. You got instant noodles, you got instant information, instant this, anything you don't know, Google, you know, every time when we chit chat, chit chat on certain topic that we don't know, hey, Google it, Google it, you know. Immediately you have the information, even though we don't check the source. You know? um, learn to wait on him is hard. It's very hard to wait. Difficult, incredibly difficult, even waiting for a train, waiting for a plane to take off, waiting for the plane to arrive, uh, touch down in the, in the, in the, uh, on the plane. I flew back from Dubai straight to uh, here, 13 and a half hours. I said, how come never reach? You know? How come never arrive? One movie after another, still not arrive yet. How long more? You know? How many times do I have to visit the toilet? You know? And queuing up and you know, just, just uh, waiting is so difficult. It's so difficult. A.W. Tozer said, God never hurries. There are no deadlines against which he must work. Only to know this is to quiet our spirits and relax our nerves. Learn to wait on Him. It is His timing, not yours. His timing. I remember in the 80s, growing up as a Christian, we always sing this song. We love to sing this song in the youth called In His Time. In His Time, In His Time. Who knows the song? He makes all things beautiful when? In His Time. In his time. Do you know you take from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11? In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. Not your time, in his timetable. You just need to persevere. Why? Because as you wait upon the Lord, that is the time that the Lord do the greatest work in you. Many of the prayers that we pray about eventually are not answered. According or, or rather the way you want it to be answered. But God has a larger way to provide for you because you're asking too small. God has a greater answer to your prayer and it's by through waiting, your souls are being mowed. Your inner life is being mowed by Him because waiting has a way to lose control. Learning to... You know, when you wait on the Lord, you slowly give up control of your life in a sense. And let God be the one that controls us. I love this poem by this French author called Trust in the Slow Work of God. He said, above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new, and yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability. And that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today. What time will make them tomorrow? Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that His hand is leading you. 
and accept the anxiety, I love this, and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. I love this. And accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete because you are giving up control of your life. You are letting the Lord lead you. Let, learn to wait on Him. To wait open-endedly is an enormously radical attitude towards life. Radically learning to wait on Him. When you wait upon Him, you learn to give up control of your future and letting God define your life, trusting that God molds us according to His love and not according to your fear. And so the spiritual life is a life in which we wait, actively present in a moment, trusting that new things will happen to us, new things that are far beyond our imagination, fantasy, or even prediction. And that to me is a very radical stance towards life in a world preoccupied with control. Learn to wait on Him. His timetable, not yours. Be patient, James said. Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield his valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. How we wish tomorrow the church building is completed, isn't it? We don't have to go through this process of, of uh, messiness in a sense. But God works on His timetable. So learn to wait on Him. Number seven, don't let difficulties derail you. In life, there are many, many struggles, many, many troubles. Jesus promised us that there will be trouble. In this world, in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. Thankfully, He didn't stop there. But thank God, He said, I've overcome the world. Don't let difficulties derail you. Forget about the myth. Someone promised you that when you become a Christian, there'll be no problem. Forget that. Delete that from your mind. Highlight it and press the delete button. Forget it. That is false. That is lousy theology. Expect struggles in life. Manage your expectation. God never promised life is a bed of roses. And because we live in a fallen world, but don't let difficulties derail you. Howard Hendricks said, a lot of Christians are like poor photographs. You know what's a poor photograph? They are overexposed but underdeveloped. See, many Christians are like that. We are overexposed but underdeveloped. We are exposed. You can talk about theology, a lot of things, but it has never bore fruits. Because we don't have, we never go through the process. We don't want to go through the process. We want to jump ahead. So expect, don't let difficulties derail you. There are a lot of values in, in the process of, of troubles, difficulties. You learn a lot of things in life. David Watson, who is a, was an Anglican minister in England, fantastic writer, good pastor, one of those books that you read that you feel not just only stimulated intellectually, but emotionally you get connected as well. 
Uh, that's how gifted people are in writing. They can connect on both fronts. He wrote a book called Discipleship. You can get hold of that book. Someone came to me after first service. Pastor Glenn, do you have that book? Can I borrow that book from you? Uh, lend from, can you lend it to me? Uh, I said, I have to look. I don't know whether I still have it, but it's my first book that we have to read at Bible College, a discipleship class. David Watson, he died of cancer through very difficult time, went through tremendous amount of struggle. He used to try to get up early in the morning to pray, but our flesh are weak, especially if you live in England where winter comes, it's extremely cold. When we were there just few last week, or there's a cold front, a ship across uh, London, the top is like eight degrees, you know. Um, and he, what he did was he put his alarm clock in the living room so that he would get out of bed and go and tick. And you know, those days, alarm clock is two bells, you know, that way. So he purposely pulled it in the living room so that he would get out of bed and go and stop it. I know some people were probably quite happy to sleep through it. Uh, this, he went through his life. is just amazing. This is what he said one of his, uh, as he struggled through cancer and all that. This is what he said. He said, if I become bitter and resentment in my suffering, I shall still have my suffering. But on top of that, I have to contend with my bitterness and resentment as well. And this may be even worse than my initial suffering. If in my suffering, I choose to open my heart to the love and peace and friendship of Jesus, then this will wonderfully transform in the entire situation. So in other words, you go through difficulties, your option is to trust in God. But if you choose not to trust in God, what he's saying that the alternative is worse. The alternative of not is worse off. It's not like better off. Uh, Ole Helsby, a Norwegian theologian, understands what glorifying God means in, in a prayer that he once prayed. He said this, Lord, if it will be to your glory, then you heal me suddenly. If it will glorify you more, then you heal me gradually. But if you think that it will glorify your name even more, may your servant remain sick for a little while. And if you think that ultimately it will glorify you even, even more, still more, then take me to yourself in heaven. What a great way to see, isn't it? In, understand, in other words, you say, my life is basically just to glorify you. It doesn't matter what do I go through. If it glorifies you in my difficulties, in my suffering, then so be it. So be it. So be it. Because pain and suffering that come into your life, but just remember, pain, sorrow, suffering are but a kiss of Jesus. A sign that you have come so close to Him that He can kiss you. Because it is only through difficulties that you are drawn probably the most closest to God. I use, I use double superlatives, most closest, just to emphasize that it is through struggling, through trials, through difficulties, through suffering. I think probably it's the time that you are 
closest to God. I have listened to testimony as a pastor. I've encountered people in my life that tells him that it is only those kind of situations where they go through the shadow of death that they have never experienced such closeness to God before. And people who have you in your own life, you've been through it, know it as well. And that is why Paul uh, James able to say in chapter 1, he said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. So how can you be mature and complete and not lacking anything? You have to persevere through those struggles. And Nehemiah never allowed difficulties to derail him. He encountered many, many challenges, but he has never allowed those difficulties to derail him. Why? Because he always looked up to God. And all these problems, he outgrown it. Number eight, seek to resolve relational ruptures. Seek to resolve relational ruptures. I see Nehemiah as someone that always trying to be like a bridge builder. You know, the community is struggling. They don't want to come to help. They are happy to go back, build their own little house. You know, they are discouraged. And, and, and Nehemiah always has to rally around and encourage and pull resources together and help them to reconcile and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, each one of us Christians, we all have a ministry. What is it called? Ministry of what? I told you earlier. Right? Ministry of reconciliation. We are called to have a ministry of reconciliation. So if you don't know what to do as a Christian, take this task on. Learning to reconcile people with God and learning to reconcile relationship. That's the best job, but it's the hardest job. Trying to reconcile your own relationship with other people as well. Uh, seek to resolve relational ruptures. Because if you really think and evaluate about your life, most of our problems in life are relational. Most of our problems in life brings us the deepest heartaches are relational. Rarely you say, oh, I can't talk because I don't have this pair of shoes or, you know, hardly, rarely. Most of our struggles in life, especially the first world problems, are relational. And therefore, we've got to deal with it. We've got to learn to forgive. We must really, really learn to unlock and learn to forgive people from our heart. If we don't do that, going, you're going to die in bitterness and resentment. That's all. No one suffers more than anyone else other than yourself if you do not learn to let go and let God and learn to forgive. As a pastor, I have my fair shares of struggles. I have a fair shares of relational struggle in the church. Uh, people left church. People accuse you of all kinds of things. Uh, whatever, you know. Uh, I, I, people left church because of me. Uh, people left church also because of you. Uh, all kinds of things, you know. Uh, not just me, myself. Uh, Say all kinds of things, do all kinds of things. Uh, uh, what can you do? What can you do? Uh, so you must learn to forgive because if you don't forgive, you don't deal with these kind of things, you, you are in trouble. You are in trouble. This morning, we, uh, first service, we, we sang this song, uh, Thank you for the cross, Lord. And there's always a, a, a word in that song that 
that some people are very uncomfortable because Darling Chek, when she wrote, she said, the darling of heaven was crucified. Yeah? So sometimes people change the word. Morning service, they say, you're a king of heaven. You know? uh, which Probably I'll prefer the treasure of heaven. The treasure of heaven. Well, I remember at the beginning of the church, there was someone leading song, and I just commented, can we change that word? And... Uh, and there was just an out, out, outpouring of anger and all that kind of thing. You can't even suggest, you know. Uh, and eventually lecture, this and that. Small little issue can become out of proportion, going out of proportion. And these are things we've got to learn to deal with. Whatever it is, we've got to seek to resolve relational ruptures as best as possible. Because forgiveness probably will save your marriage when nothing else will. Uh, forgiveness will restore your family when nothing else will. Uh, forgiveness will repair a broken heart when nothing else will. Forgiveness is the key that can open a, a, a closed heart. Forgive one another regularly, even recklessly. Uh, Jesus pours the good wine of his forgiveness with a very generous wrist. Your cup runneth over. Let the overflow flow over to each other. As difficult it is, I want to assure you, I don't say this clinically. Uh, I struggle with it as well. I struggle with this. But nevertheless, you, uh, my own mind can probably think of reason why you should remain in your position. Our minds are so clever and smart that we can rationalize uh, uh, it. But I just obey God. However difficult it is, uh, I learn to resolve relational ruptures as best as possible within your perimeter that you can do. Number nine, believe the promises of God and act upon it. I'm running out of time. Uh, we just have to act on the promises of God. As I said, our mind sometimes, I am very concerned as a pastor, increasingly we think that our evaluation of the things or the situation should supersede what the Word of God says. A lot of people form views and ways because they think that intellectually, the way they rationalize it and, and all that seems to come at the forefront above what the Word of God says. And they are willing to go according to their conviction rather than the Word of God. And that to me is extremely dangerous. Believe, even though how difficult it is, I will still think that I submit myself to the will of God. Believe the promises of God and act upon them. Don't doubt what God says. If God says He forgives you, He forgives you. People like to say, oh, so you have sinned a thousand times. Does it mean that God will still forgive me? I don't know. As far as I know that God loves you and forgives you. I don't know how your spiritual dynamic in your mind thing, whether you're abusing God's grace or I don't know. I, don't, I can't read people's motives. That is something that you yourself have to go and deal with God. Oswald Chambers, my favorite devotional author, said the best measure of a spiritual life is not its ecstasies, but its obedience. Many of our problems in life actually comes from the fact that we are disobedient. That's all. Peace are being robbed because we know, we know we are not obeying God. And therefore, uh, believe what God says. Don't doubt what he said. Finally, one final point, and God sees your faithfulness. God sees your faithfulness. Be faithful to God in the thing that he has asked you to do. Don't have to compare yourself with others. Just be faithful 
to God. As I looked in the book of Nehemiah, God used all kinds of people and God reward those kind of people accordingly. There's only one Nehemiah, but there are hundreds of people building the wall. Remember the stories that we went through in chapter 3? This person built the gate, this person built a fountain, this and that, the locksmith, the perfume seller, and everybody plays a part. God sees your faithfulness. Unfortunately, we see uh, success so important nowadays, even in ministry. Even in ministry, success is so important. But there is a great difference between successfulness and fruitfulness. They are not the same. God asks to be fruitful, not necessarily successful. And success comes from strength, control, and respectability. A successful person has the energy to create something, to keep control over its development, and to make it available in large quantities. But success, and success brings many rewards and often fame. But fruits, a different story. Fruits come from weakness and vulnerability. And fruits are unique. A child is a fruit conceived in vulnerability. Community is the fruit born through shared brokenness. And intimacy is the fruit that grows through touching one another's wounds. So let's remind one another that what brings us true joy is not successfulness, but fruitfulness. God wants spiritual fruit not religious nuts. He wants spiritual fruits. And it can bore only through authenticity. A bit more real, a bit more in touch with yourself and knowing that in touch with God that is producing shaping. Not just only knowledge. Knowledge cannot produce fruits alone. Knowledge probably... Is Abuse strongly only pro produce arrogance, that's all. But doesn't produce fruits in your life. It comes from being vulnerable, being naked before God, understanding we are all in the same journey. Nehemiah was a man of compassion. He was a man of courage. He was a man of great confidence. And he is a man who understood the necessity of cooperation in order to achieve God's purposes. And finally, let me say this thing. Nehemiah simply means comfort. Nehemiah means comfort. The consolation of God. And that to me is important because as I was uh, uh, spending some time with someone uh, when I was overseas, uh, this person went through tremendous amount of difficulties and struggle. I, I can't seem to even even to comprehend. As I was lying in bed with my wife, I often say, how did this person get through all these struggles? And other than to know that God, uh, Nehemiah means comfort, God comfort. This lady, her, her mother was murdered when she was 13 years old. And she has about six or seven siblings. The father couldn't cope, gave it all away. Uh, and further down the road, she got married. She has a daughter, 16 years old, and as a 16-year-old girl, she was raped by four men in the toilet. And it was shameful, never report to police, never, even never say anything in the church. Because they just feel maybe people cast a, a kind of judgmental eyes on them in those early days 
no community, no one to share with, and, 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 and the girl just went through hard time with connecting with men and all that, and eventually found married, went through five operations, cannot conceive, so much of struggles, uh, but pulled through it, IVF, managed to have a son, and eventually, out of the blue, God gave them another boy through natural conception. God is just an amazing, marvelous God, and knows how to comfort people. Uh, despite of all that, she's still this lady, the mother, still served the Lord, praising the Lord, and walking faithfully with God. God sees your faithfulness. Nehemiah means God's comfort. May you draw wonderful principle from this book and, uh, and live your life for God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Nehemiah. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for comforting us. Thank you for so many wonderful, precious, practical lessons that we can draw from the book of Nehemiah uh, that can impact our lives and change the way we live. Thank you, Lord, for being our shepherd and guiding us. We bless you, Lord. Help us to look to Christ. Remember who God is. Remember, knowing that in Christ alone, our hope is found. Thank you, Lord, as we sing this hymn one more time. May you remind us of your greatness. Amen. Would you stand as we finish this service with this song, In Christ Alone. Since curse has lost his grip on me, for 
is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me, from life's first cry to final Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. No power of hell, no scheme of man pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the hell of Christ thank you Lord may the Lord walk beside you uh, to comfort you may the Lord walk above you to watch over you May the Lord walk behind you to keep you safe. And may the Lord walk before you to show you the way and you obediently walk down that path. Be with you, bless you, keep you now and forevermore. Amen.